Welcome to Big 20, a roundtable discussion where GMs from all walks of life discuss gaming and field questions from viewers. Hosts this week are... I'm Chad from Fear the Boot. I'm Nick from the Mythos Busters. I'm Gavin from uh, this stream. Topic for this episode is Dungeon Master Collaboration. I don't know about you guys, but I am a, uh, when it comes to player and DM collaboration, I am a huge uh, um, cheerleader for that. Uh, I think that that's one of the ways that I have been able to elevate some of my, especially with like what we talked about in a previous episode, like those B plots. Um, it's really been a good way to elevate those uh, by making sure that I'm connecting with the players on a semi-regular basis, like between sessions and asking them questions about their backstory or about their character that maybe I'm not sure of or to make sure that we're on the same page um, because then I can make sure that I'm delivering a plot line or a side quest or something that is going to be exciting and engaging for them and also in line with what I have planned originally as a for the campaign. Um, so collaboration, like in my like at my table, communication is always open, um, and that's something that I just ever since I started running games, that's always been a, a priority for me. Do you ever get worried that you give up uh, too much information, though? I like to surprise players, you know, and and not really give them too many hints about what is coming. So if I've got, you know, if I want to engage their story, I may not um, reveal to them that that's going to happen next. I'll let it kind of happen naturally to them. Yeah. But I'm also worried about saying I want to get the information that they have to make sure I'm engaging it correctly. But there's a balancing act I think you have to you have to work work at in order to um, keep that suspense there, mm -hmm. but also keep them engaged. Totally, yeah. yeah. You don't want to ruin the mystery at all, um, you know, because if the if the player comes in and they have written their entire story and there's nothing left for you to tell, I mean, well, <laughs> why are you in the game master seat, not them? Um, but I think that the the risks are fairly minor, uh, and the rewards are so so good. Uh, mm. When a when a person has a hand in the creation of something, they they are, they want to be engaged in it instead of just showing up to like hear the story and maybe interact in it. To, to show up and interact in the story that you had a part in creating. You're interacting with your NPCs in your world, in your town, in your section of it. Um, it it also empowers the players too because you know if you give them like a section of the world to make or you're using a collection of their NPCs that they've made in their story they're the subject matter experts on that and and you are kind of going along with the flow hmm. um, it I think that you know really good game mastering comes in when the game master does as little work as humanly possible <laughs> if you can <laughs> offload that work onto your players then you can focus on the more important stuff like your big mystery and plot and all that sort of thing and and give them that that sense of connection and, and openness yeah i think you're right that's definitely next level stuff as far as gming goes uh i think it's too tempting especially as like early on in game mastering careers to kind of take your story and stick to it and like, okay, make, make your backstories, but now we're just going to go off and go to this dungeon and do this. I think once you get to that that extra tier of game mastering, you can have an idea and then incorporate, like, kind of massage your the backstories of your of your players into it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something that I've gotten better at, I think, over the years, uh, for sure. Yeah, well, and, and a lot of it comes down to style, too. Uh, a number of people that I play with, 
um, are either new to the hobby or they just don't have as much, well, I guess not having as much experience that is new, isn't it? So they don't, like, they're not as into the role-playing aspect. And even some that I've had that I've played with for years, they are there to have fun with their friends and roll dice. And so they're their level of engagement is, it's different than like what I would have as a player or what some of my other players maybe have. So I know with them, they're not going to be like that level of collaboration. I've tried reaching out on occasion and it doesn't always work with them. Like they usually give me half-hearted answers or something. And I can tell that they make an effort to give me like what I'm looking for. But at the same time, I also know that that's not where they're getting their fun from. They're getting their fun from looking at their character sheet and going, oh, now I can make three attacks every time I take the attack action. And it's like being able to recognize that, uh, I think, is is going to um, help you then determine what level of collaboration is going to work for your game. Yeah, you, you really have to be able to read the table. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, like especially with new players, I love new players because they're like a blank slate. You know, I can I can imprint on them the things that I find important. I mean, the things that actually are important, which are the things I find important in role playing games. <laughs> But you can, uh, you know, if you're into heavy RP and stuff, you can kind of like pull that out from them. But if you, if they're, like you said, if they're just not into that, that's not their jam, and you keep pushing that, you're going to push them away because you're pushing something that they're not into on them. But it's not just new players either. I mean, uh, I am very lucky in that I have had players in the past, and I have a group now that's very full of very creative people. And they're uh, really into the collaboration. And they, I have players who will just write whole reams of backstories and NPCs and stuff because that's just what they find fun. But I have had other players, too, who they do not want to do any of that a- at right. all. You know, it, it's like they, they, you're lucky if they name their character. <laughs> <laughs> So they're not going to come up with like a family tree or, you know, an arch rival or anything. They just kind of exist in the world. And, and that's cool. You, you can, I, I actually, some game masters who are really into like storytelling and collaboration and especially in like we were talking earlier, like, like sort of fate type games and, and uh, games that are a lot, lot looser and less crunchy and stuff. A lot of game masters are really into that collaboration. And so when you have a player who isn't that kind of like, falls off their radar at best or kind of mm. screws up their flow at worst. Personally, I think it's great because that means that person's writing me a blank check. You know, it's right. like, you're not going to come up with anything. Guess what? I'm coming up with your villain and your backstory and your NPC and your parents and your, your everything. Uh, you know, I will try not to get petty about it, but, you know, I... I have actually found players who who don't do that. I actually make more central to the plot. And I find that that really works out well because they're not used to that. They don't put that into the game. Hmm. And so their past game masters don't revolve the game around them. And it it allows them to like kind of more open up and it, it engages them more. But it also gives me like tools that I can use. It's like, man, I really wish I had somebody whose mother was an assassin. Oh, hey, this guy doesn't even have a name. I'm going to make his whole family tree and they're all assassins. Stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you mentioned fate. Uh, I read a game a few years back called Diaspora that is part of like the, the character creation. Uh, you filled out like stages of your life. 
And as part of that, for each stage, you would engage other characters at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'd, you'd create conflict, you would, and you would create aspects based on, based on um, uh, these little backstory paragraphs. So I actually stole it. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I love that. <laughs> and, and now whenever I start a new campaign, I kind of have my players do that same thing. So they write like their past is just them. And then maybe like their, like the next phase of their life involves the character to their right. Yeah. And then the next phase is the character to your character to your right. And how did they help you? And the next phase is your character to your left. Now, how did they hinder you? Now pass mm. your sheet to that person and they tell you that story from their perspective. So were they hindering you or were they trying to help you in some way? And it just engages the characters, gives um, forms relationships that you, as you, I think you use the word mine, you can mine that stuff. You can mine yeah. it for, for just fun, cool, like interactions. Like I've got, in the Dragon Heist game that I'm running right now, um, there's quite a bit of that. It's kind of like player-to-player collaboration in a way, unwilling mm. or not. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's it's fun to kind of see that pre-game dynamic and how you can use that when you're telling the story of the of the actual campaign itself. Yeah, I love Fate. Um, although I've never actually played just pure, you know, Fate. I don't. I mean, does, does Fate even have like a core rulebook and a generic side? I don't, I don't even know. I think it's called um, Fate Core, yeah. Yeah, Fate Core. <laughs> well, uh, you know, appropriately named. Know. Fate. Yeah, very creative. <laughs> but uh, but I, I, I'm a huge Dresden fan, and I was boring these guys with my Dresden Files character story <laughs> earlier before we started the show. But uh, Dresden Files, uh, which maybe as well as Fate, again, I don't play it, uh, Dresden Files Fate has the same thing. Like, like my character is paramedic. And it's you know modern day modern fantasy and stuff, and uh, there there's uh, the different stories you know your origin story your conflict story you know your lowest point you know that sort of thing, and it was really neat like for one aspect of my my story I I was like there was a bank robbery we live in a city and the city was we made up it's California sort of uh, West Coast city, and in this city there was a bank robbery, and. My, I'm a first responder, and so the I'm showing up as the police are showing up, and it's like a sort of, oh, geez, it's like heat, right? I mean, it's like guys in body armor with automatic weapons knocking over a bank, and, you know, cops are shooting, and, and I am, like, my, I just write a thing about how my character pushes past a, uh, the, you know, the, the cops trying to keep everybody out and keep the paramedics out, my, my character pushes past to get to the, the wounded people, um, and my character because it's Dresden's Meyer Fantasy, he sees dead people. And he sees the parents of a baby. And the parents died. They got caught in the crossfire. But before they died, they shoved this baby under a car. And the ghosts were like, get my baby, help me. That At that point, I take my character sheet and I pass it to the person to the left of me. And on their character sheet, they continue that story with their character and what they did in that situation. To the left of me uh, was my wife and she was playing a, a, a detective, police detective. And it, you know, so she started writing about how, you know, that there's this bank robbery and stuff and all this crap was going down and it was everybody, you know, everybody shows up, even police detectives and stuff. And it was just mayhem. And she sees me trying to get under this car to get this, baby and she didn't see the ghost and there's bullets flying everywhere and she you know provide you know she's shooting at the guys right to get them off of me and all this stuff and then she passes it over to the next person who is a what's called a white court vampire 
It was just an emotion vampire. You know, it's like they pick an emotion and then they feed off of that emotion, like a psychic vampire, who is a barista. So not a paramedic, not a cop, barista. And then we established, when she passed it over, we established that the coffee shop where she worked was right next to the bank. And she sees us trying to get to this kid and she runs out. And because she's a vampire, has these supernatural abilities, she's writing this in her story, lifts the car up so that she can grab the, so we can grab the baby. But she is trying to keep this whole vampire thing hidden. And so she's like playing it off as, oh, it's just adrenaline. It's just adrenaline. It's like, you left a fucking car. And so it was the same. It went around and around. And it was really, really neat because that established like, like the bank robbery and the, and the robbers and stuff. That was like a headline in the paper. And it, it's never going to come up in the game. It's never going to be part of the game. But our characters shared this experience together. You know, and, and it's like how we knew each other and it established physical locations, it established events, it established a story like like her she had never planned on my character not know that the white cord vampire never planned on my character not knowing she was a vampire. Um but because of that, because of how she wrote it, it like became a thing where I'm always like, there's something about about you and she just like <laughs> completely blows me off whereas everybody else knows mm-hmm. and and that was just this this neat thing now we have this thing between our characters um but it it, it it's i love collaboration i love rule systems that have that in there that that encourage it and i find that when i'm playing a game that doesn't have any collaboration aspect mechanics to it like the D D. I have to put them in there. It, just like you, Gavin, it's just like, I would, I don't know if I would rip out fate, but I would rip out something or I would make something up uh, because I have, I have to have that collaboration in games. I love it too much. Well, and I think there's a lot that you can do even just outside. And I'm, I love mechanics. Like I, I love gameplay, but I think there's a lot that you can do for collaboration, even just outside of the system. Um, like of uh, 66% of the games that I run nowadays are D&D 5th edition. Um, and that hasn't hindered the level at which I, I try and collaborate with my players at all. Um, if anything, like it, it has actually forced us, or not forced, that's a bad word. It has actually encouraged us to um, get together between sessions more often to discuss situations with the character, with the town, um, especially with our Salt Marsh game, because the players in that are really like, I wanted Salt Marsh to feel like its own character. So they're really invested in that town and everything that's going on there. Um, so D&D doesn't have anything really that encourages that level of collaboration between DM and player, other than just the way that like the DM's guide is written uh, in some places. But I think that as long as you're still approaching it with that mindset, you'll find those opportunities and everything. I think the real the real trick is getting players who have trouble with that, getting them to open up and to maybe think about the game as more than just dice and pencils. Um, and that usually even just starts at the table with just like what is like refer to their character instead of their player, like or instead of them. Um, what is you know. Uh, Hrothgar doing, you know, don't ask them what Mike is doing, ask them their char- what their character is doing, how does their character react to that, and I think doing that enough over the course of enough sessions and eventually they'll feel, hopefully, a little more comfortable with um, taking a little bit more of the reins as far as the, how the story is affecting their character 
um, and then collaborating with the DM in that respect. But again, if they don't, that's fine too. That's mm -hmm. just that's just how they have fun. So yeah, yeah I, I like what you okay. said about um, having them invested in Salt Marsh. Um, it reminds me, uh, my my friend Mike, who's a, a great DM, he um, uh, ran a Thirteenth Age game a few years back. Uh, yeah. But to create the world, he had us play Microscope. I'm not sure oh, if you're familiar yeah. with that game. Mm -hmm. So essentially, the way it, it works is you um, create a, like a, a starting point and an end point, and then you fill in the timeline. The play collaboratively around the table, you take turns like drawing, just putting random stuff on. Uh, can I swear in this? I don't know. Random stuff on cards, <laughs> and um, arranging them in ways that may or may not make sense mm -hmm. and he um so we created these timelines and these events and these 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 facts and places and people in this world and he took it and made this, this amazing campaign world out of it <laughs> that was just it was it was crazy unfortunately just scheduling and whatever it fell apart way too soon sure but it was it was a brilliant world that the players literally made like we sat down and created this like Lich Queen, horses didn't exist. That was one thing. Horses didn't exist, so everyone rode, gi <laughs> rode giant cats. Yeah, it was very, very cool. Yeah, and awesome. there were airships, and it was like nothing. It was like a dime store fantasy novel, you know. And, mm. and it was like, but it's that's literally like throwing the world to your players, saying, you know, you guys right. collaborate, you guys make the world. I'll run a game in this world that you made. Um, mm -hmm. Risky, but when it pays off, it's uh, it. You're very invested as a player, like because you're like, oh yeah, this is part. This is the part that I made. I want to go see this. How does this 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 ancient spire look that I just threw in a card? How does this look in this world? You, you're really invested into um, seeing what happens uh, and playing around. It's a big sandbox. And that's that's a good way to get around the whole uh, like I've had this as a DM and as a GM before running in like established settings. Um, like for D and D, I never run in Forgotten Realms or Greyhawk or any of those. Even though I have pretty decent knowledge of Forgotten Realms, I still don't because I know there's going to be a player that knows more about it than I do. <laughs> so I adapt everything to a homebrew setting. Um, I ran. Uh, a campaign in Middle Earth a couple of years ago, not using D and D, uh, but um, yeah, ran it in Middle Earth. And I haven't read Lord of the Rings since the movies came out. I used to read them once a year, every year. But once the movies came out, I watched the movies and I was like, "That's this is good. Like this has what I need." <laughs> um, and I love the setting, but I have like I haven't brushed up on it very recently. And a number of the players um, are much more, much more into that setting than I I am. At least when I, you know in like recent memory. Um, and that was just a nerve-wracking experience. But using something like Microscope, working with the players to create a setting, uh, like that would alleviate all of that stress and tension as far as running a game. Because you know exactly as much as everyone else does, and you have the exact same level of investment. And that's also reassuring them because you know your players have that level of investment, which is really cool. I haven't used Microscope, but I'm, I'm very interested in trying it. It's fun just to mess with. You know, it's, mm. it's a fun little system. You mentioned running uh, in established, established worlds, and that's something that I've struggled with as well. Um, like, as the default setting essentially for for Five E is Forgotten Realms, so mm -hmm. the adventures and stuff are. And I was never a Forgotten Realms kid growing up. I was Dragonlance. I read all oh, the Dragonlance sure. stuff. I still know quite a bit about that, but um, I still insist running. Run, I'll run games in the settings. I'll tweak things. I'll, I'll change things around. But I'm running Dragon Heist, and that's in, in Waterdeep. And mm. I started reading books. I, I read more Forgotten Realms in the last couple of years than I ever did uh, prior to that, <laughs> just because um, I wanted to really get the setting right. Like, because like, Waterdeep is a city, you know, it has like it's certain things. And so the few players in my, my group, they understand that I'll change things as I see fit. You know, mm -hmm. like, yes, the book may say this, but I'm saying it's this. Right. Um, and they're fine with that. 
but the little bits that they they recall if i drop a name they're like mm. oh wow you know i know what that is you know and uh it's uh it just adds that extra little that extra little bit it's like i don't know spoilers for mandalorian but it's like seeing the dark saber at the end of mandalorian <laughs> most star wars fans like people who are like oh, i love star wars have no idea what the dark saber is right but it's that you know it's the those fans that have who sat through clone wars or sat through rebels you know that have that bit of um extra knowledge that are like whoa you know that's mm. more than just a cool looking sword that actually has a history to it and um <laughs> so it's fun to play with that but if you have players that are difficult about it i could see it being very trying especially right like yeah with middle earth because there's people that have been reading that stuff their entire lives <laughs> yeah. and they really like not, not, i don't want to be generalized people but fans of middle earth tend to really want it to be accurate and uh mm -hmm. if, it, if it falls shy then yeah, I, I can see that being troubling. I, I, I would probably not want to run a <laughs> run a game well, in Middle Earth. I, I solved that problem for myself by setting it post War of the Ring, so uh, it was set in a time period that d doesn't have much, you know, explored yet, and also set in um, the kingdom of Dale and Erebor, so in like the northeast section where the dwarves like that was explored during the time of the Hobbit. Uh, mm -hmm. with the company of 13, but not really anything after that. So I kind of gave myself as clear of a palette as I could while still staying in stuff that was familiar. Uh, so I that allowed me to focus more on like getting the tone right and getting like the nature of good versus evil in this setting correct and less on like, okay, well, where was this guy at this point? Can I put him in here? Oh no, technically he's in Mirkwood, that sort of thing. So. Mm -hmm. So what about running games in a world uh, that you've created? For for example, uh, so Nick and I um, played in a West Marches style game that he uh, he came up with uh, in 2018. Mm -hmm. And we played it through all of last year. And it's this homebrew world called Miris that he and uh, some other really smart uh, GM folks created um, and let us all play around in it. And I ended up playing for a little bit as a, as a, as a PC and then jumping in as a, as a, a dungeon master. Um, so what's it like having like the stuff you spent six months on creating and having other dungeon masters coming in and saying, you know what, what if this was the way it is? Or what if uh, we tweak this? Or what if this house is actually full of trolls that by day are in fancy clothes and uh, <laughs> by night are, are vicious trolls, you know? <laughs> uh, from my perspective, because uh, I always assume I know the least about any given subject in the room, um, it was a huge reassurance uh, because I pretty much, I, I, follow my muse when it comes to this kind of stuff like um i pretty much have like a tone or an event um in my head i have a feeling that i'm going for um and sometimes that's emulated in the mechanics and sometimes that's emulated in the setting uh but everything around that like as long as i'm able to get that uh to in front of the players um i'm fine with other people like changing the details and changing the names and scraping off the serial numbers and making it their own thing like that. I have no problem with as long as it matches my, what made me excited about it in the first place. Uh, a good example of this from Miris is um, uh, Matt, one of our DMS and I were running games at Gen Con last year. I think Matt's actually might be listening right now. I think I saw him in chat, but um, we ran a, a session like two of us together ran a session for nine of the players of our Mirus player base, which that alone, like I could talk about that for hours. That was an amazing session. But um, to get to the point, <clears throat> he and I were discussing like the nature of this session and what the final boss fight, boss fight would turn into. And I'm a big fan of having like 
a boss encounter that has a big bad and then a couple of lieutenants and then just a horde of weak minions that the players can just chew through. Like, I love that. And so I kept telling them, like, I don't care what happens as long as we get this horde of minions just literally climbing over each other to get at the players. Like, World War Z levels of, like, clamoring and, you know, fighting to get at the players. Like, I want that. I want it to feel that, um, like, like the odds are stacked against them to that degree. And, and I'm like, other than that, I'm like, you and I can hash out everything else and we can figure it out. And if there's stuff you really like, that's fine. I'm like, as long as we can make it feel that level of not hopelessness, but of like, like we're really in the thick of it now. Um, and we did, and it was great. Uh, so yeah, I really, I really like latch onto a theme or something. And then, um, and I think I tried to make that clear as we're running the campaign. Like anytime you or George or anybody would come to me with questions about a specific location that literally I just had come up with as like a spot on the map. I just drew an image of a fort and gave it a name and I'm like, there we go. And there's trolls here. Sure. Let's do trolls. Mm -hmm. um, I always, I always made sure that whoever was actually running that session had the freedom that to do whatever they wanted to, to be comfortable running it. This is being addressed in chat, but uh, briefly explain exactly what a West Marches campaign is. Oh, sure. Um, West Marches uh, is a campaign style that uh, it puts the onus of the schedule and the uh, organization of the campaign, like on a, on a logistical level, in the hands of the players. So usually there's one, it's it was created originally and it kind of works best when there's one DM and more players than you can get at the table at one time. I think the original campaign had like eight or nine players. Uh, and how it works is there's a single shared world uh, that they all inhabit. Uh, there's one town and that town is safe. And then outside of that town are various points of interests and the players make their characters. They all uh, reference the same map uh, they choose a point of interest. They determine who can play at what times of the day, and then they work with the DM to schedule a session. So the DM doesn't actually do any session or any like encounter prep or anything until he knows where they're going to go, who's going to go there, um, and then they'll, the DM will prep that session and run that session for them. Um, so it's it's in a way, it's kind of like a throwback to traditional D&D &D, where the idea was that all the players played in the same campaign world and that even though uh, Chad and I may never sit at the same table, our characters could potentially cross paths at some point um, out in the world. And it also uh, creates, because it's a shared world, it creates this idea where like if suddenly Chad and I are in a game together and I'm like, well, we're going to go to this, this mage tower. I've never been there before. And Chad's like, oh, I was at, you know, this... Mm -hmm castle and i found information on the mage's tower so now there's this level of shared information that makes the world seem that much bigger um and more dynamic and alive uh that's west marches in a nutshell there's a lot more that, that could be said about it but i mean that's that's essentially what you're going for when you're playing in or running a west marches game and the way that the mirrors was different uh was the fact where you had a ton of players i think we had 25 players at one point and mm -hmm. up to four dungeon masters yeah. so four or five i think so it gives the ability to just more fluid scheduling there were times where we, we were we were um there were three or four games a week being run on different days uh, different parties you know some some players would go on multiple parties but for the most part it was different parties all just exploring this this big continent and mm -hmm. uh which comes with its own you know pitfalls you know it's like oh <laughs> they if they the dungeon masters can't be on every game, so they may not know like what happened that last game, 
oh, they got information about this point of interest. Well, I didn't know they had that information or something I put in there contradicts that. And so it did create a little bit of that, but honestly, I don't think it was a big deal and the players are very forgiving. And, uh, but uh, yeah, so it was a bit more chaotic, but uh, when it worked, it was, it was, it was really special. Mm -hmm. Yeah. By the, <laughs> not by the end of it, but like leaning into like the twilight sessions of Miris, it got to the point where I was just like, when I'm on running games online and I have players and I'm like, okay, who's been to this before? Can one of you describe <laughs> this, this point of interest to me? Cause I wasn't, I, I wrote it on the map, but I, I didn't run the session. So you describe it for us and then we'll go from there. So the talking about collaboration, like to loop it back around, I was totally fine. Like, Oh, this player has been here before you take it for now. You describe everything and then we'll work with how that description plays out. So which players don't always remember everything. Like <laughs> memory is not not exact. So yeah, there was there was a castle we had to go to. I think that I was running a game that they'd been to before a couple times. It was full of goblins, and they'd killed the king, and they'd killed all the goblins, oh, yeah. all this stuff. But my 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 piece of it was the basement. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, whatever you guys see upstairs, it was it's the same way you left it. You know, like, it seemed, <laughs> yeah. it's just just more rotted goblin corpses, and uh, yeah, nothing uh, nothing nothing seems to have disturbed it since uh, you were last year. Mm. But uh, just as a way to kind of hand wave that piece away. Jenna mm. Sasquatch asks uh, a question for the host: What are things that a DM can do to promote or encourage collaboration? Well, I think that uh, I mean there's a lot of different things you can do. The the most basic being, you know, the sort of session zero, the the coming into it and saying, you know what do you guys want to see? You know, it, it's a pretty yeah. open-ended question. Somebody might say, well, I want to see a lot of action. I want to see, uh, you know, a lot of role play. I want to see a love story. Um, you can take that and then you can start expanding on it. It's like somebody says, oh, I want to see a lot of action. And you can say, well, what kind of action are we talking about here? Are we talking about like, you know, chase scenes, big, huge set piece battles, more, you know, in the dark type stuff. And then they might say, you know, you know, it's like, yeah, I want to see big set piece battles. Well, then you can start, you know, asking questions about that. It's like, well, what kind of, you know, it's like, okay, so there's a set piece battle. You're talking like big factions. Give me some examples of factions here. What, what kind of factions do you like? To, and then start opening it up to the floor, start opening it up to the other, other uh, players. Basically, just kind of get them talking. That's a good way to get collaboration going without actually the player's at least at first, understanding that they're collaborating and building this world. Mm -hmm. Because basically, you're getting them to tell you the ideas and you're knocking off their ideas. <laughs> you're just completely stealing them. Uh, but other ways of doing it too, like like I played in this, this 5e game where our session zero was, we, you know, we were doing character creation. And I had not told them a whole hell of a lot about the campaign. I didn't have a lot. Um, and I had them make the king. I had them make the king of the land. And when I say make the king, I mean like, okay, here's a blank character sheet. As a group, you guys are rolling up this king. And you can do anything you want. So, of course, they decide to screw with me and make him a gnome. And, <laughs> you know, and all, a bard and all this sort of stuff. But I'm, I'm like, that's fine. I'll roll with it. When they made the character, I started asking as they were making him. It's like, okay, this guy's a gnomish bard. This is not a gnomish kingdom. You know, this is a human kingdom. Why is this a gnomish kingdom? 
And I had, I, you know, I didn't have anything planned. I just made that up that we're not in a Gnomish kingdom because well, mm-hmm. I'm just not going to run that game. Mm-hmm. But they, uh, you know, and then they started talking about, well, why is this guy? And, and then I started engaging in that. And I started engaging with them. Instead of just throwing a question out and then waiting for the answer and then doing the next question off of that, I put myself in the place of a player, too, and saying, you know, it, maybe he's telling a lie. Maybe it's a big con. You know, mm-hmm. he's a Gnomish bard these guys are not exactly scrupulous and and honorful <laughs> and stuff and it's in a human kingdom um and i we just kind of kept going from there that was that was really neat because they fell in love with this guy they made they made this character together and this character was the theme of the whole thing and they were so engaged in him uh, but I think like, as far as like the, the actual question, like the resources and stuff like, like, what can you do to encourage that? Don't hold yourself at arm's length. You are a part of this game. You are the game master, but I, I hate that term. I hate the term game master. I hate the term dungeon master. I hate the term t- storyteller because it's like, I am the master of the game. I sit above everything else. I am telling you what my game is, or this is my dungeon. And it, 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 I hate that. Like the storyteller thing too. It's just like, well, it's my story. I'm telling <laughs> you my story. No, it's our story. We're, we're in this together. It's a game. We're all friends. We all like each other. You know, it's like, I don't want to sit myself above players. They're not my players. It's our group. And this is our story. So, what I like to do is when we do this collaboration, I'm there with them. I'm just not asking them, you know, like airships. Yes. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's just like, I, I want, I am there with them, get throwing out ideas, throwing out stuff like that. And I have the added thing too, is that since I'm the game master, I can try and guide that discussion where I want it to go. And right. you have to know your players too, because some players, and some groups are going to want a really heavy guide, right? They're, they're I mean, they're like, uh, you're the game master. You need to tell us some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Others are not going to want you to lean on them so much and lean on their ideas. So you got to, you know, you got to kind of understand. You got to be able to read the room. Yeah. I think a good way to encourage it, uh, if you have a group or maybe a player or a couple players that aren't really into that or aren't haven't really tried it, um, is a lot of game systems have some sort of meta resource or mechanic that you that is often awarded um, that the GM gives out uh, based off of role playing or coming up with cool situations like in D and D it's inspiration um, in Savage Worlds it's Benny's uh, so for instance you could especially if you're doing this collaboration between sessions um, I'm I'm using that as an example because my uh, um, salt marsh campaign runs we meet every three months and we play for a whole weekend so between that time is when that collaboration really kicks in so we had a session this last session that we had where one player started each each adventure quote unquote or each scenario that we ran which we ran two. he started with inspiration and the first time nobody really noticed but then the second time they're like wait why does he start with inspiration mm-hmm. i'm like oh well he and i worked on some stuff in between sessions and we talked stuff out and his character actually had goals and ambitions that he furthered outside of the game sessions so we did that all via discord chat um and then one of the players was like well 
can I do that? I'm like, well, yeah, sure. I'm like, he just came to me with that. And that's what we landed on. So if you want to do that, you know, so having that resource, and again, with Savage Worlds, you could have a player start with four bennies instead of three, if they're collaborating with you between sessions, having that resource that you can, that you can hand out and leverage uh, is a great way because then it gives those players who approach the game as a game of mechanics, it gives them a very um, uh, strong mechanical reason to engage with this level of the role-playing game. Yeah. Um, I noticed young one too in chat, uh, from my significant other, uh, is there such a thing as too much GM collaboration? And I've actually ran into that. Um, but not not quite in the way you'd think of, you know, overwhelming it or, or you know, just asking too much of my players get upset. Uh, I kind of ran into it where I have, I've had players who contribute a lot. You know, mm -hmm. they collaborate a whole lot. Like I said, I, I have players who write up whole lists of NPCs that are in their background, characters, you know, uh, backstories for all of them, locations. I had one that in Blades in the Dark, uh, his character ran a whorehouse. I got a floor plan to the flo to the whorehouse. Uh, I got back backstories on every single whore. I got backstories on the bartender. I got backstories on the goddamn cat that was in the whorehouse. Uh, and he's really cool too because I don't. I get overwhelmed. You know, it's it's like that's too much for me. I'm I'm not. I can't incorporate all that in it. it especially when I have multiple players doing that. But so that in a way, that's a little bit of there's too much collaboration. But as long as the player understands that they're doing it for themselves and then I can like harvest some of that, yeah. not the whole crop, right. but some of that, it's good. But I have also had players who they're hands off. You know, it's like, let's go back hmm. to the example of the guy who doesn't even have a name on his character sheet. And we're like five sessions in <laughs> uh, those type of people. They don't they don't collaborate. And that's cool. That is totally cool with me uh, like i said that's that's write me a blank check and i love it what i have had with those kinds of players though is the people who do the collaboration people you know the whorehouse with the cat and all this sort of stuff in the big list that gives me things that i can use and right. so i i end up using that well by the nature of it the people who wrote that stuff are central to it yep. and mm -hmm. so when i use it I have to pull them in, which gives them, you know, on the most base, it gives them XP, you know, depending on what kind of system you're running, or it just gives them spotlight. It gives them importance in the story. It gives them more time to role play and do stuff with their character. Whereas the person who doesn't give me anything does not have those opportunities. I may right. not even be trying to cut them out. Mm -hmm but they have given me less to work with. Thus, I, have, I work with less with them. Yeah. They're not as in the story. Um, and I've actually had one or two, and it hasn't been bad, no big drama or something, where I've had a couple of players kind of like whine, like, oh, I'm not in this, I don't like watching that. And it's just like, <laughs> well, let's do something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have every opportunity that every other player has. Yeah. You know, you don't even have to write a backstory. Just, just freaking step up and start roleplay. Interject yourself into the scene. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's tough working with the backstory. Even the I've encountered backstories where it's like well, everyone I ever know is ever knew is dead. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. well, it's, you I'm know, Batman. 
<laughs> and it's just like, okay, well, that, that's interesting. How did they die? All they all died in a fire. Oh, uh, okay. oh, and additionally, um, everybody I knew is dead. They all died horrific deaths, but I'm totally over it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, no trauma. Fine. It was an accident. It was a catastrophic accident. Yeah, Nobody was to blame. The universe is to blame. <laughs> I have made my peace. I have um, now. Let's kill some shit. I have a character in my my current Dragon Heist campaign who is a very 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 old elf. Like she's like seven hundred years seven hundred years old, but has amnesia. She can't remember most of her life. Um, which you know at first is kind of like oh that's kind of low it's low effort. But as a DM, it's also like, oh man, there's so much I can like. So I have people recognizing her. Like she's walking through town. She's actually met several people in Waterdeep. <laughs> like, like the Blackstaff recognize her. Uh, the Open Lord recognizes her. Like, they, and they're like, oh, I haven't seen you in so long. You know, like, how have you been? And she's like, oh, uh, great. And kind of like doesn't want to doesn't want to embarrass them. You know, and yeah. um, so there's like she has a history that she doesn't even know that uh, will hopefully come out at some point uh, mm. in the campaign. Um, mm -hmm. So just because like she gave me that that blank slate to work with and instead of like being like okay well whatever i kind of rub my hands together uh and laugh a little maniacally and uh, got to work <laughs> so to yeah. speak yeah yeah that's when it comes to like the concept of too much collaboration i think that's as a gm or as a dm we have to be comfortable telling our players and i think this is something that you establish in session zero which every campaign should have uh bar none um, I think that you establish with your players, like, you are free to provide me with as much or as little as you want, and that also means that I am free to include as much or as little of that as I want. Um, session zero is that session that you use to establish those expectations uh, and get the idea for if the players want a sandbox game where they can uh, literally pursue their own ambitions all the time, or if they want like a theme park game where it's the GM is giving them exciting encounter after exciting encounter after exciting encounter, and they can make choices, but it, they're still being kind of railroaded, which I don't think is a negative term necessarily when it comes to the hobby. I know it has a lot of stigma around it, but, but I think that um, that session zero and going like, you know, you can give me 12 pages of backstory. Probably not going to read it because I got other right. prep to do. But what I will read, I may use some of it, I may not. And that's just something we have to be comfortable with as DMs is that that level of communication uh, with our players. I never yeah. thought I would run into that kind of problem. But a long, long time ago, I had a player who they wrote a novella. And I'm not, like, <laughs> exaggerating for effect here. Whatever the word count on a novella is, they wrote that and emailed it to me. And I took one look at it, and I'm, I'm not reading this. Yeah. I don't have that kind of time. Yeah. And, and I hate to say it, I really don't care about your character. I care about your character and how it fits in and incorporates with the story, with the group, with the mm -hmm. themes, with the tools that I can use in it, but I actually don't care about your character, any character, you know, uh, on a, not like, not like a player cares about their own character. And this guy was not happy. <laughs> you know, he, he was not happy that I did not read his really crappy novella about how wonderful his crazy ass character was. And it, he, he did not last in the game. It's very demanding.
That's too bad. But that is something I, I will say in session zero sometimes. Cause I, I have some really great writers in my group and people with massive imaginations that just come up with cool stuff. But if we're starting at level one, like in D&D, what happens during this campaign is the most interesting thing that's ever happened to your character. I know you want to say that they like led armies and they, you know, killed kings and fought trolls and stuff prior to this. You're level one, dude. Like this is <laughs> like you were an NPC before this. Mm -hmm. um, like if your background is blacksmith, you were a blacksmith. You may have been a really good blacksmith, but you were still a blacksmith. Now we'll right. see what happens to a blacksmith once he actually encounters, you know, the kind of things that, you know, that, um, well, that, that change the world, I guess, or, you know. Young One 2 has seized initiative um, and asked, what, uh, what is a game that you have always wanted to do a collaboration for, but have been too afraid to do? And start with Gavin, because he's new. <laughs> okay, I actually have an answer for this, so I'm glad you started with me. Uh, Blades in the Dark. Now, mm. um, I love Blades Mike, in the Dark. Yeah, I mentioned Mike before. Uh, he's running a very good um, multi-season Blades in the Dark campaign that we've been playing in. And um, I actually wanted to, and he, he said, you can do this, to collaborate with him to create um, just like kind of an like opening scenario that involved like some of the villains of the campaign hmm. to kick off season two. Now, I've said we played two seasons, sure, it never happened. I never actually got around to doing it. Hmm. Um, and, uh, but it's one of those things that, it was a shot, an opportunity that I had that I, I missed, but I know I'll get it again. So it is something I do, I do need to take him up on that in the future is like, get into this Blades of the Dark world with him and work on a, a scenario for uh, for our players. Maybe not involving their their characters, hmm. but maybe on NPCs that we've encountered and seeing what they're what, what they're doing. Sure. I think mine would have to be the new Alien RPG from Free League Publishing. Uh, I bought into that as soon as I could. As soon as it was announced, I got the, the beta playtest kit because I'm a huge Alien franchise fan. Huge fan. Um, and I've been, I've had a campaign in the works. We haven't actually pulled the trigger on it yet uh, with the same crew as my Ghost of Saltmarsh campaign crew. Um, but I think like that, that game specifically um, encourages not, I don't want to say PvP, because it really isn't direct PvP, but it encourages so much hidden information between the, the GM and each individual player. Um, like, this player knows certain specific information about this mission or this location or whatever that these other players don't know. Um, and because that's, because it's, Alien is such a horror movie and that's such a horror movie trope is like, any one of us could be a traitor. Um, even though you don't necessarily want to encourage that behavior, to a degree, uh, you still want to make the players feel like at any moment one of these players, like which one's the android, which one is the you know the company agent, like that sort of thing. Um, and Alien, the, that system and that that game is so just rife with opportunity and just the language that game uses encourages that mindset of sowing paranoia amongst your players. That to me, that's like that's my next goal as a campaign is to get an Alien campaign on the ground and running and uh, to be able to connect with my players individually often enough to establish that level of collaboration where, where you're sowing that paranoia amongst each other. That, that does sound like a really deep game. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I've not taken a look at it directly. I, I've actually flipped through the old original Aliens RPG. It was crunchy as crap, but uh, if I remember it right, because it was a long time ago. Uh, but that sounds really neat. It, it seems like for a game like that, you would have to have the right kind of group. Mm -hmm. um, 
Because I was just thinking, like, I've actually played with groups before. I, I mean, my, my current groups of the different games I'm in would eat that up. They, they would be great. They would go right along with it, especially right. the, the Skies of Glass group I play with because we do a what we call the real game where we're writing on notes and passing them back and forth and stuff. Um, <laughs> but I have played with groups in the past where, like you're saying, who's the rep, who, uh, not replicant, who's the uh, android or whatever, and, mm -hmm. you know, who's got this, that going I know groups who would be like, okay, first game, first thing we're doing, we're on the ship, everybody line up. Everybody's going <laughs> to prick their finger with a knife. Anybody who doesn't bleed's an android. All right, then we're going to go through a medical scan. Everybody who's got an alien in them, out an airlock. All right, and it's just like, okay, now everybody's doing background checks, and it's just like, that's not the point. <laughs> you know? it's, it's okay not to know and be taken advantage of. Mm -hmm, it's the mm -hmm. story. But yeah, I was I was sitting there thinking about that as you were describing. Like, man, that's so cool! And I know people who would hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I ran the I've ran the uh, the one shot that they released. They call them cinematic uh, cinematics, is what Alien calls it, um, which is their one shot adventures that are paced to be similar to like an Alien movie. Um, mm. so, so players like player characters are, they're not expected to survive and they kind of know that at the outset, but yeah, I ran the one that was included with their, their beta play test materials, ran it two or three times and every time it's played out differently. And every time, like they, they say, here is, you know, here's the information for if one of these players is an Android, you can decide which one is when you're handing out the character sheets, or you can decide there's no Android. Um, and you know, that, like that sort of thing. And that's always fun to do that. Like sometimes it's like, okay okay, this guy always gets pegged as the traitor in social deduction games, so I'm going to give him the android just to see if everyone like continues that trend. Oh, it was it was really fun. Alien is definitely, yeah, definitely something to spend time with because I love it. Mm -hmm. As far as my answer goes, I'm going to have to take the kind of asshole jerk answer of saying, uh, I'm not really afraid to run anything. Uh, I, I love challenges, uh, and I challenge myself when I run games. Uh, as I was telling these guys earlier, you know, my fifth edition game is I started the game with the end of the game. And then I started them. And then I had no idea how I was going to get to the end of the game that they had already experienced. I didn't know how I was going to make that work. Uh, and it did. And we, I worked it out. And it was har harrowing. And, like, I didn't know if I was going to be able to do it until, like, a month before the end of the game. Um, but... You know, I, I'm not. I, there, there isn't any game that I am afraid to run. There's games that I'm not interested in running, or games that I think that I wouldn't be very good at running. Hmm. Uh, and I think that that's more of the thing is is like, um, I don't know, like the the sort of Gonzo. I I, I can't even think of a specific game for, it, but yeah. Gonzo, Confederate soldiers riding Tyrannosaurus Rexes on the moon to fight Nazis. Like, Bronchosaurus Rex. That literally is a game. There you go. Not my thing. <laughs> cool <laughs> that it exists. I would probably even play in it as a one-shot, maybe not my thing. Uh, well, another one, and I've said this before, too, uh, like Monster Hearts. Um, not, I'm not really into that, that sort of, you know... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there it is. Uh, yeah, no, no, I don't. I don't <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the box art. Now I know for sure I wouldn't do it. Oh, but it, but it's just a preference thing. Sure, for me. 
Didn't mean to derail you. Sorry. No, no. If if anything could derail anyone, it would be that game. Here, hold that game <laughs> up. Hold that box up again. I want to see that. So that is a Confederate soldier with a flaming sword on yep. a T-Rex with a saddle. So this was not just some spur of the uh, spur of the moment thing. Mm. Uh, uh, with a flaming sword. That is uh, that's disgusting. <laughs> I think it's so cool. I think it's so <laughs> radical. Oh. Relative Depot is seized initiative, or um, actually, I'm not sure if that's a seized initiative or just a uh, highlighted their question. So, uh, so a lot of GMs out there feel like they don't uh, give up control of their game, or go give up control to their players, so they aren't really up to collaboration. Uh, what advice would you give these GMs to help them ease into collaborating with players and how much better it can be, it, things can be in the game? Give up control. I mean, that, that, that's all there is to it. When you're holding things in and holding the, the plots and the stories, everything, it's, I mean, I can make so many different arguments on why you want to give up control. You know, you give up control of plot elements and story, you make your players subject matter experts on it. Uh, they are more in, your players are more engaged. You are getting ideas from a group of people instead of just your own mind. Their ideas are what they want rather than what you think they want. Um, but also Game Master is a, is a lot of work. It, it's, it's hard. There's, there's a lot of stuff you have to do and it's not just like making monsters and balancing challenge ratings and stuff. It's coming up with engaging plots that will engage individuals and people. Offload that work. Offload that work because they will care about it more. It will be an easier game for you and the story will be better because it's what they want. And then, but it's, it's not just giving them what they want. Because actually, that's another piece of advice I have. Never give them what they want. Because they don't know what the fuck they want. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but they have a good idea of what they want, and they want some mystery. So you got to take what they want, and you got to like kind of put a spin on it, too. you you got to subvert their expectations. you got to take it in directions they're not expecting. So it's, it's much better to take their ideas in directions they're not expecting than your ideas in a direction they're not expecting. Because they don't know what your ideas are. And they're already not expecting it. That subversion is what makes really interesting stories. It, it works great in comedy, but it also works great in drama and horror and all the other genres. Yeah, I, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. Um, I think that if you have a player who is concerned about giving up a level of control or a level of, they might call it agency, um, with their player character in order to collaborate and you want to kind of encourage them to do so. Not to give up to con control necessarily, but encourage them to find that extra level of engagement in an RPG is do what I said before. Find a mechanical uh, um, incentive that you can provide to a player who is willing to do that and then show that to the rest of the group. Um, not like, like, hey, oh, look what you all could be doing. Like, we're all having fun. But instead, just be like, you know, have them cash in on that inspiration or use that extra Benny or whatever and then get everyone else's gears turning to like, well, you know, I like, I like rolling 220s and taking the highest. How can I get that? You know what I mean? I think that's the easiest way to do it. Um, 
and yeah, I, I think that's that's how you do it with players who are are reluctant, or even just give it a chance to work, do a one shot, and say, hey, mm -hmm. you know, for this week we're doing something different. We're going to work together and develop like the setting and the story, you know, as a group, and then I'm going to run you guys through it, and we'll see how it goes. And Chances are it's going to be a blast because everyone will be invested in it. And right. you can say, you know, the following week, hey, guys, I like that. Let's do a little bit more of that during our, our main game, during our campaign. All right. We're just about out of time. So how about letting everyone know where to find you? Um, you can find me at nicholascorey.com. That is my website. Also, I am uh, starting, I'm streaming multiple RPG-related stuff on Twitch. So you can go to twitch.tv slash nscorey. My next one is this coming Wednesday. So if you're listening live, it's Wednesday morning, where I do D&D 5th Edition campaign prep videos for the campaigns that I'm running. And... My name is Chad. Uh, you can find me at feartheboot.com or morningsky.com, S-K-Y-E. Um, I'm Gavin O'Brien. You can find me on Twitter, um, at lot of snow, all one word. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Nick, Chad, and Gavin for hosting this week. Uh, and uh, thank you, Relative Deep Pod, for the awesome question. Jenna Sasquatch always, as always, coming in strong. Uh, young one had the signif significant other and a seize initiative. Uh, also, a high Gavin from Summoned Monkey uh, was in the chat. Um, next week's hosts are Chris, Dan, and Wayne. Uh, remember, we all we stream every Sunday night at 9 p.m. Central, uh, and we will see you next week.